listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. December 16th of this year, it is a Monday. I get home from work at 11 and I have four assignments I have to do to finish my bachelor's degree. And so I'm up till I think 4 a.m. and I turn everything in and it is something that I've worked very hard for. I'm not gonna lie though, I procrastinated a lot. Uh, I sometimes turned in assignments late because I knew that even with the point deduction, I could still get a good grade. But nonetheless, I still think I tried pretty hard. But one of the coolest things about finishing I had recently was um, I had to call the the registrar's office for um, my graduation commencement to see when that was gonna happen and get all the details. And the, the advisor, she was super nice. Uh, she was asking me what grades I was getting. And she was just like, do you know what you're going to get in your minor profits class? Because I knew I had an A in my capstone. Um, all the grades were in. And she said, if you are able to get an A in your minor profits class, you will graduate. Mary Kendall knows how to say it better. Summa cum laude, which is honors. And at the moment, I was sitting at a very high B. And so my GPA, it it was a 3.505. And with a B in that class, it would be taken down to a 3.49. And that would put me 0.01 away from graduating with honors and getting the fun little armband that comes with your cap and gown. That's, That's honestly what I'm most excited for. But knowing this... Some advice that I was given was contact your professor and see if there's any revisions you can make on your assignments or anything like that to get the 1.5% grade I need to get an A. And so I, I have to send a message to my professor and I'm like, professor, I have no excuse for the assignments that I turned in late. I tried really hard. Is there any way you can give me just enough points to put me at an A. Even give me enough to let me round up to an A. I just need 90%. So I go to work and about six hours later, I get a message from my professor and then I get an announcement that says, your grade has changed. So my professor, he responds back with a very graceful message and he says, hey, I was able to find 15 points for you on one of your assignments to boost that up to an A. And so now I'm super excited. I have a band coming for me that I get to wear on my cap and gown. My GPA is a 3.51. But I know I did not deserve this A in minor profits class. I turned in some assignments late. Like I said, I procrastinated. However, the professor showed me grace anyways. 
My A is undeserved. However, because of one small act of kindness and grace, I can walk the stage with a little honors band. But all that to say, how often in life are we given things that we do not deserve? And with that theme, we're going to look in the book of Amos. I know, Amos, what a book. And we're going to see how the Israelites were restored despite their constant disobedience against God. And so some, some pretense, if you do not know what the minor prophets are, Amos is a minor prophet. They are the last 12 books in the Old Testament, starting with Hosea and ending with Malachi. And they're called the minor prophets because they are small. We have major prophets and minor prophets. They're often skipped over a lot. Um, All the prophets are skipped over a lot because of the the ethereal language that they use. Um, But there's a lot of truth to learn from the prophets. And just a little insight, if you ever want to read the prophets, you can go to Deuteronomy 28, and that is a list of all of the blessings and the curses that they used in Deuteronomy. And the prophets take that language and these blessings and these curses, and they use that language to prophesy against the Israelites when they are disobedient or anything like that. But Amos, in particular, is 90 Five percent God's wrath. It is written by Amos. He was not a prophet by occupation. He was a shepherd. But nonetheless, God gives him a message to give to the Israelites. And so let's look at how the Israelites were disobedient. So if you turn to Amos 2, verses 6 through 8, I'll start there. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So when you read this, the Israelites are in full disobedience mode. But if you're in youth or if you've read the Old Testament recently, you know that the Israelites are constantly in disobedience. Constantly. And in Amos particularly, they are in full delusional. They're fully delusional. They have amassed a huge wealth And they genuinely thought that they were receiving this wealth from the Lord. They thought that they were being blessed. Yet they were swindling. They were selling their poor into slavery because the poor couldn't pay their debts. The poor were being legally exploited with zero grace and zero justice. And when these people were legally exploited, they were then also sold into slavery They were profaning the Lord's name by breaking Leviticus 18, which tells them not to sleep with the same woman, father and son. And that's what exactly they were doing. They were going to the servants and the temple prostitutes, and the father and son were sleeping with them. 
They were taking certain items unjustly from the poor. There were certain items that you needed to live. And it was against the covenant law to take those things, yet they were doing it anyways, such as their millstones to help them grind mill. They were taking their garments and they were wrongly using these things. And sometimes these things were being dedicated to false gods. And so we get all of this disobedience, all of this covenant law breaking, and yet they thought that the Lord was the one who was giving them this wealth, even though they were stealing it from their own people. However, because they were God's chosen people, they thought that when the day of the Lord came, all of their enemies would be judged and destroyed and they would get off scot-free. They thought, I'm God's people, we can do whatever we want, and God's going to let us off. That's not how it happens. Well, at first, we look at Amos 2, 11, and 12 to see what God does first. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. And so God raises up prophets from their own people to speak out against their disobedience. And then he raises up Nazarites to help them fall back in line. But they make the Nazarites break their vow by forcing them to drink wine and they tell their prophets, you shall not prophesy. They force them to not prophesy. And so at this point, in the book of Amos, it looks like there needs to be some drastic measure to happen to the Israelites for them to come back to God. So what needs to happen? What does God do? And that's what we're going to look at today. How does the Lord bring restoration out of disobedience? How does the Lord bring restoration out of disobedience? And so all that build up to say our main text today is Amos 9, 11 to 15. That is the last few verses in the book. And up until now, we have disobedience and anger from the Lord. But if you have a digital Bible, I'll be reading out of the ESV. And if you have a bulletin, you can follow along on the back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us all to be here. Uh, we thank you for a new year. We just pray that you are in it every single day, Lord. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to get up here and speak. We just pray that you use us and guide us and we can get something out of this, Lord. We pray for this in your name. Amen. All right, Amos 9, 11 through 15. The subheading is restoration for Israel. And so we're going to jump right to the end, and then we'll sort of work backwards. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treaders of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God. So what did God do to the Israelites? Well, to find out, we look back at Amos 9.11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. In their disobedience, God let his people fall to his judgment. His wrath and his judgment came down on them, and they fell. And so that's our point one. How do we bring, how does the Lord bring restoration out of disobedience? He allows the disobedient to fall. Oftentimes we think of God as just a loving God and he's willing to forgive anything. And while yes, that is true, there is nothing that God won't forgive. But in some cases, God will take extreme measures against the disobedient to bring them back. God's wrath falls on the disobedient. So his people, they broke covenant. They sinned time and time again. They profaned the Lord's name. And eventually, God said, enough. And he poured out his wrath on the Israelites. And in Amos, particularly, God is portrayed as a lion searching for his prey. Amos 3, 4 says, Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? And so this portrayal of God is a powerful lion. A lion will roar when it starts his pursuit on its prey. If you think of the Lion King when Nala is about to attack Pumbaa, she roars and then chases him. The Lord in this passage is roaring like a lion. And his prey is the Israelites. And his power will not be avoided. Now, if you don't know what actually happens to the Israelites, all throughout the Minor Prophets, we have pre-exile, post-exile, and during exile. The Israelites were punished through being exiled from their land. The land that they were in was besieged by Babylon, and they were taken captive. And they were in captivity and exile for 70 years. So their disobedience to God was not taken lightly. And the Lord enacted his punishment out as a roaring lion full of anger. One of my favorite movies growing up, I've probably watched it at least 50 times, is The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I've never read the books, but the movies specifically, if you've seen it, you know who Aslan is, right? Aslan is a lion. He's a, he's a symbol of the Lord in these books. Aslan is their leader. 
He's a lion. He's a loving lion. He's gentle and more loving than anyone else. He puts the needs of the others over the needs of his own. He's willing to serve whenever he is needed. But when the time comes and his people are in danger and the white witch is turning all of his people into stone, Aslan comes to the rescue. You hear a great roar and the white witch turns around and he pounces on her and he wins the battle and they win the war. And God is exactly like that in this. <clears throat> Even going to the New Testament, look at the Pharisees. How often in the New Testament do we see the Pharisees disregarding the poor, disregarding the less fortunate, calling out the Lord for working on the Sabbath? They thought that they could enact judgment on others because they thought they were better and they thought they were essentially perfect. They grew up their whole lives learning these covenant laws, yet they missed the big picture. They were disobedient. They were unloving, callous, dismissive, because they thought they were more righteous. And the Israelites in Amos, where they are outwardly wicked and disobedient, the inside for the Pharisees were just as wicked. Look at Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what does he do to them? In Romans 11, he says they're cut off. If they did not repent... If they did not let the Lord restore them, then they were cut off, even though they thought they were God's people. But what about us? Think of yourself. Think of the world around us. What do you see? We see wicked throughout the whole earth. But for God's people specifically, we often do the same thing the Israelites and the Pharisees do. We neglect to serve those who are less fortunate. We don't spend time helping out the widow or the orphan. We aren't patient. We aren't loving. We aren't witnessing. We often neglect to say, stay in the word. Or we often neglect to stay in the word and spend time talking to God. And it's really sad to say, but... Waiters and waitresses, least favorite day is Sunday lunch. <laughs> because that's when the church folk come from church and are rude, aren't showing the love of Christ. And I'm not saying this is everybody, but this is a culture that has been built. We often let sin slip into our life until we feel like we've hit rock bottom or we get so deep that we need a wake-up call. The Lord will let you fall. We eventually get to where we're eating with the pigs like the prodigal son thinking, how did I fall so far from where I was? 
I've been in this place. I've probably been in this place multiple times in my life. And if you're in this place, luckily there's an Amos chapter 9 coming that still gives hope. So let's continue. I'm going to read Amos 9, 11, and 12 again. It says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So the Israelites are disobedient. They neglect God. And in God's sovereign timing, he punishes them. He lets them fall to the Babylons. But God makes a promise. He promised to restore the Israelites back to their days of old and that he would raise up the booth of David. And so our point two, how does the Lord bring restoration out of disobedience? He builds up the fallen. He builds up the fallen. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David. If you don't know what a booth of David is, a booth in those days is essentially a tent that has awnings and poles, and they would put branches over it, and that would essentially be a shelter. It would shelter those who are under it. And so Israel in the time of David is under David's protection. However, in 1 Kings 12, we get a split from Israel and Judah. So the northern kingdom splits from the southern kingdom, and this booth of David is is broken. There's a rebellion. And this promise from Amos is that God would raise up the booth of David again. And I would say this is twofold. This restoration is a a prophecy from Amos that says, I will restore you back under the booth of David. You will be united again. When you come back from exile, you will be just like the booth of David from the past. I will rebuild it. And then also, we can look to the future when the booth of David would come through the Messiah who would be born from a descendant of David, and this booth of David would be over us all forever, and all of God's people would be under this booth through Jesus Christ. So God punishes Israel, just like a father punishes his child. But eventually he restores them, rebuilds them. They were exiled for a long time, but God never broke his promise. God promises to his people that he will never leave them nor forsake them. And he lives up to that promise today. From the past in the book of Judges, if you've read that book, every single chapter is the Israelites do wrong. They get taken captive. They repent. The Lord sends someone to save them. And then vice versa. It's constant. But the Lord always brings them back and continues in his promise. So going further to the New Testament, look at John 21, 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him again, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. At this point of restoration in Peter's life, it is very hard for him to hear, do you love me? Because when we look back, Peter, in his hardest moment, is confronted by three people saying, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And this is while Jesus is in custody and he's arrested and he's about to be killed. So Peter says, no, I don't know him. He rejects him three times. Peter is fallen and distraught because after this happens, Jesus is beaten and he's crucified. And Peter was scared, so he rejects Jesus. And then we get to this passage. Jesus and Peter, they have a conversation. And Jesus asks them, do you love me? Three times. Three times for the rejection. Three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, of course, Lord, I love you. And Peter is restored. Imagine the hurt and the suffering that Peter went through knowing that he had rejected Jesus. And now think of today. Today's the first day of 2023. And I'll ask you, where are you with God? Are you fallen? Are you following Christ the way that you should be? Are you too ashamed to ask the Lord for forgiveness? Are you in this rock bottom? God, from the time that he created the universe to today has never left his people. And so if you ask for repentance, if you repent and ask for forgiveness, the Lord will restore you. That's why in Psalms, all the time, we hear them crying out to the Lord, restore us, O Lord. Even in 1 Peter, and the, 1 Peter 5.10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. In First Peter, they were exiled. They were in a land of foreign, just foreign, and they did not know what the Lord was doing, and they were scared. And the Lord says, you're going to suffer a little while, but I will restore you. I will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So the Lord lets his people fall sometimes, but he always restores them. Let's go to our last passage in Amos. Amos 9, 13 through 15. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. 
I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God. And I love this passage because not only does it continue in God's forgiveness, but God also promises them undeserved blessing and it promises no more fear of displacement. They will never again be uprooted. The days are coming, says the Lord, when there will be untold abundance. He tells them that their harvest will be so vast that when it comes time for the plowman to plant the seeds of the harvest, the reaper will still be there harvesting. And and so forth, when the, when the treader comes as well, the reaper will still be there because the harvest is so abundant. We'll find the, the reaper still gathering resources from the previous harvest. Not only that, he promises that their grapes will be so vast that there will be such an abundance of wine, it will flow from all the hills. That's got to be some big grapes. It will flow from all the hills. But among all this, when God restores his people, he promises that they will have a security in their land. They will no longer have to worry about being taken captive or exiled again. They can live for God and enjoy an abundant life in the cities that God allowed them to restore and rebuild. And so that's our point three. How does the Lord bring restoration out of disobedience? He blesses and keeps those he restores. He blesses and keeps those he restores. When the day of the Lord came, the Israelites all knew that they were being punished. But Amos prophesies that there will be restoration, and they know that restoration is coming. God will fulfill his promise. They would be a prosperous nation again with a God who still had never broken a promise. But what does this have to do with us? If we look back at Amos 9.11, we get a foreshadowing of the day of the Lord for us as well. Like I said earlier about the booth of David, when the Israelites came out of exile, the protective tent of David that was present over the kingdoms of the past was over Israel again. And now that booth of David resides over God's people through the promise of a savior from the Davidic line in Jesus. And when that day came, that was also the day of the Lord. Jesus came, he emptied himself as both fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless and righteous life that we could not have attained or done on our own. Then he was beaten and died on the cross for our sins. And through that, his elect would receive the imputed righteousness when he drawed them and they were saved. 
And now God's people can look forward to the land that was promised in heaven. But not only does he offer restoration, he offers blessing and security. Salvation is secure. But when we talk about blessing, I also want to be careful. I'm not going to tell you that the Lord is going to bless every single person with untold riches in the physical sense. And while he does allow some to have an abundance, there are blessings for all God's people. His people are promised with the his people are blessed with the promise of land. He will return and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. He blesses through comfort, divine comfort, when we don't know how we're going to keep going, how we're going to move on, how we're going to live. He gives us comfort. <clears throat> he says, when you suffer, <coughs> you will be blessed. And all of this flows from the work of Jesus. I think the Gospel Coalition says it really well. The blessings of the Old Testament are still available yet in a changed and eschatological form. For those in Christ, there is a greater nation, a greater land, and greater blessings. So to those who are in sin and are disobedient, I will say repent, because the Lord allows his, his people to fall, but he will restore them. To those who are at rock bottom, who feel like they can't see from all the hardship, or if you're a struggling family financially, or you struggle with addiction, habitual sin, or you are just human, and you know that hardships come and go to this, I say, hold fast. The Lord has brought restoration through Jesus, and the future eternal blessings are worth the pain and suffering that this life brings. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And so our main point tonight, God is loving enough to restore his people when they are disobedient. He didn't have to. He doesn't have to. But he does. My senior year of high school, I took a pottery class. It was probably the best class I ever or took. But in this pottery class, we were tasked with making animals out of clay. And the big importance of this assignment was to build an animal that was sturdy that was durable, that wouldn't break easy, and obviously we didn't want it to explode in the kiln. So I decided to build a cow. The professor would come around during these times and he would check on our, our sculptures and to see how sturdy it was. Usually he would, he would wobble it or wiggle it or see if the limbs were, were loose. And now in my defense, I was super confident about this cow. 
So I'm like, Professor, check out this cow that I have. So he takes it, he checks it, and then he mercilessly rips the head off of it. My cow was an utter failure, but luckily, (laughs) I was able to rebuild it. (laughs) I'm sorry, I forgot I put that in there. (laughs) That caught me off guard. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It was a failure. He ripped its head off, but I was able to rebuild it. He allowed me to work on this until I got it perfect. I restored my cow. I got an A. And it withstood the kiln. And I don't have it anymore. But God in his infinite mercy, he is the potter. I am the clay. He is restoring He is rebuilding his people into his perfect creation. As we follow Christ, he makes us more like him. He makes us more holy. And one day, we will be perfectly sanctified. But until that time comes, we have to hold fast We're going to fall, but we can cling to the hope that the Lord always restores his people. So if sometimes you don't understand what God is doing, just know everything he does is for good. He has a perfect will, and we can hope in that, Lord. So I'm going to pray. If you have any questions, um, I'll be up front to answer some questions. Um, There's... Elders, I don't know where they're at. I see Mark back there. But if you have any questions, if you would like to know the Lord today, come and talk to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for allowing us to fall when we're disobedient because sometimes that's the only way that you can get our attention. Thank you for holding fast with us and when we do come to repentance you restore us back to you we just thank you for the blessings that you have given us today thank you for allowing us to have lights in a church and clothes and food and the ability to have an education but thank you for the eternal blessings that we will receive one day and the biggest one is eternity with you God We just thank you for all you do. We pray that you make 2023 the best year yet. We pray for this in your name. Amen.